Grab your Bible this morning and open it to the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter number 11, 1 Chronicles chapter 11. And I'm going to read quite a bit of this, but uh, let me just read down, yeah, let's just read verse 10 and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, okay, because I want to, I want to cover some of this here this morning. 1 Chronicles 11 verse 10. Now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And the title, I guess if I was going to title my message this morning, it would be, Where Are the Mighty Men? Father, we love you today once again. We can't say it enough. We can't express to you, uh, Lord, our, our praise, our singing, our lifting hands, God, our prayers. It can only go so far, Lord, for us to convey to you how much we truly love you and how much we recognize that we need you. Uh, Lord, I just pray today that you would let your word do its perfect work in our heart. It doesn't return void. It accomplishes its purpose. I pray, God, for fruit uh, to be born from this word today. It's not about the messenger. It's not about me. God, I'm just a vessel, earth and clay, Lord, full of failure. I, I just need today your anointing to speak this word, Lord, as you speak into the hearts of every person here today. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Before I get into this this morning, just want, again, wish everybody uh, happy Father's Day. I want to uh, publicly say happy Father's Day to my dad. Uh, I've got a great dad and uh, taught me a lot and worked hard. Dad gave up an awful lot when we were kids. He sold possessions to make sure we had food and um, did a lot of cruddy jobs over the years, odd jobs, just to make sure that our needs were met. And uh, I appreciate him for that. It's been a pleasure getting to work with my dad on this building over here. Uh, day after day, and um, I forget at times that the dude's 65 years old now, you know, and he's still, he's still going pretty strong for 60, well, January be 65, uh, you got, you, I've got to give him credit, he's really held up, it's funny because he's gone home a couple times and told mom, that boy's about to wear me out, and I, I don't feel bad at all because I remember times when I was a kid and he worked me. He wasn't, he wasn't sympathetic with my uh, uh, inabilities either, but uh, I want to thank my dad. You know, I have, uh, I've said this before, I'll say it again, that in, in my life I'm um, thankful for the opportunities I've had and I've accomplished some goals that I set out. And, and I've, I've wore a lot of titles in my day, different titles, but my favorite title uh, is dad uh, and husband. It all goes kind of hand in hand, obviously. I love being a dad uh, more than anything else I've ever accomplished. Um, to see my children grow. Um, I love, I enjoyed teaching my son how to throw a football. I enjoyed teaching my daughter uh, how to play a trumpet. All of those things um, have been fun and have been enjoyable, uh, but those types of things are earthly works that will, are somewhat temporary, uh, but our, our job and our duty, our work as fathers is, is actually an eternal work because my kids are eternal beings. They have a soul that will live on in eternity whenever they die. So the work that I do in teaching them about Christ is a work that will continue on. Amen. And so I, I enjoy all of that stuff. I mean, me and Brady, in fact, he got his truck. We've been working on trying to put a stereo in his, his truck. And I'm not exactly, you know, crafty that way, but I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos. And, you know, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. So I think I'm qualified. And uh, so anyway, we're going to have a good time spending time putting that stereo in. Uh, but the thing about it is that truck um, one day we'll, we'll go up and smoke, like everything. hopefully not because of my wiring, but uh, one, one day, it with everything else, will go up, go up and smoke, but it's those, uh, those eternal 
teachings that we instill in our kids. Uh, and we know it. I know that you know that. I'm, a, I'm preaching to the choir. But don't ever underestimate your job as a, as a dad uh, or as a mother for that matter. So God bless you this morning. Um, and that's why I, I feel like this, this message, I actually made notes. You know, I keep a notebook with me all the time. Everywhere I go, I've got a little notebook, and thoughts come to me here and there. The Lord will speak a little thought, maybe through a prayer or through a song or just out of the blue. And I just jot thoughts down all the time, and from the, a lot of those thoughts uh, come messages and stuff. And I actually jotted down this thought. It was probably four years ago, five years ago. I don't remember. And, um, and it come to mind these past few days as I began to seek God for the message uh, that he had me preach today. And I thought it was fitting it being, father in law, uh, being Father's Day. Um, about mighty men. Amen? Where are the mighty men? So in this scripture that we just got done reading, just to give you a little background and I kind of want to read through it a little more, I want you to see what kind of men David surrounded himself with. Um, David, we, if you read the whole story, uh, we find that David obviously was chosen by God to replace Saul as the king. Okay? Saul had goofed up bad. God was going to get rid of Saul and raise David up to be the king. So the current king, Saul was jealous about David and tried everything he could to kill David. How many of you know that no matter how much we try, you can't stop God's plan? Amen? And he tried, he tried, he could not do it. So David finds himself for a period in his life. He knows that he's destined to be king. God has already, through Samuel, he's already anointed him and already told him, you will be the next king of Israel. So he knows that, but for a period of time before it actually comes to pass, he's running for his life, right? He's, he's living in caves and going everywhere he can to, to uh, dodge Saul. But the funniest thing is, he starts off alone. But then the funny thing is, all of a sudden these men start flocking into him. These men recognize his calling, recognize his anointing, and they start attaching themselves to them. Suddenly David finds himself surrounded by mighty men. And so this scripture here, 1 Chronicles chapter 11 through 13, I'm not going to read every verse, but I'm going to kind of glide down through it. I want you to see what type of men these were uh, that David had working on his side. These are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Now I'm going to read through this kind of quickly and I'm going to skip some of the big names and the big words so you've got to, you've got to follow close, right? This is the account of David's mighty men. Jashabim, a Hakmonite, was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. Now we'll find, I think if I remember correctly, there were 37 that were technically considered to be the, David's mighty men. Okay, But these top three were really the, big, really the best. Uh, wielded his spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. Now, he killed 300 guys at one time in one battle by himself, not with a machine gun, with a spear. That's pretty mighty. The next to him, the three, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, uh, the Ahohite. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing these right. I'm just doing the best I can. Uh, and you have to be strong if you've got a mom named Dodo, right? I mean, you know he had to defend himself quite a bit. He was with David at wherever that was, when the Philistines were gathered for, there for battle. There was a plot of ground full of barley, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. So here's a mighty man who uh, the enemy is coming in to literally take over a plot of land, a plot of land that belonged to him and his people. Everybody else was running off, 
Everybody else is just out to save their hide, but not this guy. This guy plants himself in the middle of this plot of land and decides, I will fight these guys off myself if I have to, and he literally did. If you read about this same account back in Kings, it says that he fought so hard that literally they had to pry the sword out of his hand. There was something in this guy that says, I'm not giving, I am not giving up what belongs to me to an enemy. Would would to God that all of us as men in this day and age as the enemy of our soul that's come to kill and steal and destroy Satan, that old serpent, the devil, that is trying to rob us of of all of the blessings and all that God has intended for us to have. Would to God that we don't just roll over, put our tail between our legs and play dead, but there would be something to rise up within us as men to say, I am not going to allow the enemy to take what belongs to me. I dare you, I dare you men, tonight or some night when your whole family is in bed and asleep, I challenge you to go and find the center of your home. Stand in the center of your home and say, this is my house. This is God's house. God's spirit abides here and I will stand against all the powers of hell and darkness that try to come against it. Amen? I'm not trying to over-dramatize anything. I'm saying, man, we got a fight on our hands. The devil, as innocent, as small and innocent and pure as your children are, and as perfect as they are in your eyes, Satan wants to destroy them. And there's one guard, one main guard against the enemy of your child's soul, and that's the dad of the home. Amen? And the mom, obviously. We work as a team. This guy says, nope, enemy's not going to take mine. He stood his ground and he protected that field. Verse 14, he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines and the Lord saved them by a great victory. Three of the chief, uh, 30 chief men went down to the rock uh, to David at the cave of Adullam when the army of the Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephrendum. David was then in a stronghold and the garrisons of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. David said longingly, he's just kind of making a comment, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Now, now think about this for a second. I mean, this, this really happened. I mean, here, again, now they're running for their life. He's not officially, you know, king yet, and, and he's, he's dwelling in a cave, and, and the enemy is in, is in Bethlehem, and that's the city of David. That's, that's that belonged to, to the Jews. And so the Philistines are there uh, uh, to keep them from possessing what they are supposed to be possessing. And David just says, man, and I don't know what it was about the well of Bethlehem. Maybe it was colder. Maybe it was pure. I don't know. But David had drunk from the well of Bethlehem many times before. And now he's running out here. He's in a cave. He's in the desert. He's hot. He's thirsty. He thinks, man, I just wish I had a drink. I, all I could think about was that well. I wish I had a drink out of that well. And three of these mighty men, seeing the heart of their king, seeing the desire of their king, put their own life and their own wishes, their own needs aside, and broke through the whole line of the Philistine army to dip him a drink of water out of that well and take it back to their king. Just for a drink of water. To honor their king and to make themselves available for his service. Folks, we are, we're, we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God is our King. 
And God is looking for people, men and women, that will, when we tap into the heart of God, I believe that if you were to hear the heart of God now, it would be something like, oh, that my people would really tap into the well of my spirit. Oh, that my people would really worship me. When we worship God with a full heart in spirit and in truth, with willing hearts, that's like a cold drink of water to God. That refreshes God. And God said, I'm looking for mighty men that will worship me no matter what the rest of the world says, even if it means they have to battle just a little bit. Amen? David, uh, let's see, then verse 18, then the three mighty men broke through the camp. We already read that. Um, verse 20, now Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the 30. He wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaniah, uh, he struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. Now, I don't think it takes... Too much of a genius to figure out that if, it's kind of dangerous to fight a lion, period. But if you're going to fight a lion and you're going to follow him into his pit, into his cave, you probably don't want to do that when there's snow on the ground, right? I mean, this guy with snow on the ground fights a lion with no fear. He struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. But Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, killed him with his own spear. Uh, let's see, going down to about, we find Uriah, the Hittite, listed among David's mighty men. Now we know that David had uh, Uriah killed, and that's a whole different, different story, I won't get into the whole story. But we find where David brings Uriah out of the battle. David has basically had an affair with Uriah's wife and got her pregnant. He's trying to cover the whole thing up, so he brings Uriah out of the battle. He's been away from his wife for however many months or maybe years, brings him out of the battle, sends him home for, to, to rest up, knowing that most likely he'll be with his wife, she'll, get, she'll be pregnant, everybody think it's his baby, get himself off the hook. But Uriah was such a man of integrity that he said, I'm not going to go home and be comfortable in my house with my wife knowing that my brothers are still out there fighting. You see the difference in the mentality that we have a tendency as men to operate with today, especially in our culture? We're a little, I mean, when we get the opportunity to comfort self, we generally are going to take the opportunity to comfort self, even if that means discomfort for somebody else. But you're right, I said, no, no, there's other men out in the field who are still fighting, and I'm going to fight with them. Mighty men, verse number 12, or I mean, chapter number 12. Um. Verse number 8. From the Gadites there went over to David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty and experienced warriors, expert with shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and who were swift as gazelles upon the mountains. Verse 15. These are the men who crossed over in the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing all its banks to put to flight all those in the valleys to the east and to the west. Verse number 17. David went out to meet them and said, If you have come to me, in friendship to help me, my heart will be joined to you. But if to betray me to my adversaries, although there is no wrong in my hands, then may the God of our fathers see and rebuke you. The spirit clothed Amasai, chief of the thirty, and he said, look at this, this is what this man, this mighty man, says to his king, we're yours, David. And with you, O son of Jesse, peace to you and peace to your helpers, for God, for your God helps you. By the Spirit of God, he declared himself to be a servant of David. 
I'm going to bring all that I am, all of my strength, King David, and I'm going to present it, I'm going to give it to you and use it for your glory. Then David received them and made them officers of his troops. Okay, go down along the lines of, oh, uh, Verse 24, it kind of starts talking about all the different tr- the tribes of Israel and all of these men, these mighty men that were coming in to make themselves available for the king. Uh, verse 22, the men of Judah said they, bear, they bore shields and spears, 6,800 armed troops. Of the Simeonites, mighty men of valor for war, 7,100. Of the Levites, 4,600. You go on down through there, oh, along the lines of, uh, uh, let's see, uh, 33. This is one... Of Zebulun, 50,000 seasoned troops equipped for battle with all weapons of war to help David with singleness of purpose. What does that mean? These men had one thing on their mind and one thing only, and that was to present themselves and dedicate themselves to the king's service. Singleness of purpose. The Bible teaches us, I, think, I believe it is, forgive me if I get this wrong, but I believe in the book of James, it says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man, a man that can't make up his mind who he's going to serve. A double-minded man, a man that wants to serve God, but he still wants to serve himself, right? He's unstable. That, that, that kind of man can't be trusted. The only kind of man that is stable and that can be trusted is the man of a single mind who has made up his mind, I'm going to serve God whether anybody else does or not. It's kind of like Joshua said, right? Uh, uh, you, you serve whatever God you want to, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Joshua was the leader over his home, and he declared that over his home. I am going to serve God, and so will my house. Chapter 13, this was kind of where I wanted to get to. David consulted with the commanders of thousands, of hundreds, with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and from uh, the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites and the cities uh, that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. Let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. And all the assembly, all of these mighty men of war, tough guys, agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. Now, the reason why this is significant, folks, is because we find that in Scripture, in the Old Testament Scripture, the Ark of the Covenant represented, it represented God's presence, right? And, and when, when the Ark of the Covenant was, was in their midst, they would win battles. There was a worship. There was a praise. The Ark of, of the Covenant kept everybody's mind pointed towards God. And the Ark of the Covenant under Saul's reign uh, had just kind of been shoved into the background. Just much like the presence of God gets in our life sometimes. Like we do sometimes with the presence of God, we can have a tendency to shove it into the background. But David says, I'm going to bring the presence of God out. I'm going to put it in the center of our nation, the center of our lives where it be, where it's supposed to be and all of these big tough men who carried the swords and fought in the battles i mean they were manly men they recognized that the first thing they needed to do was not go out and kick somebody's tail or do all these manly the first thing they needed to do was restore worship in their country these big tough guys real men worship jesus folks real men recognize that they're not god and worship God instead of themselves. These big, tough men. Now, you've got to understand, <clears throat> you don't have to turn there, but if you go back into 1 Samuel 22, we find that these men were not exactly the cream of the crop in the country. Okay? This is what the Bible says about these men, who, these mighty men who joined themselves to David. 
Uh, it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Look at this. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Gee, thanks, right? These weren't the cream of the crop. These weren't like the best, uh, you know, the most famous, most popular, richest men in the nation. They were bitterness of soul. These were broken men, but they came in their brokenness presenting themselves to the king and God used them in a mighty way. God, God made them commanders over many. See, the, the thing about it is these were flawed men, but God did great things with them. That's the way God works. That's all God has to work with on this earth is flawed people, Right? Because we're all broken and flawed. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you who are wise according to worldly standards, not many who are powerful, not many who are of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose that which is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God always uses the ragtag bunch. God always uses the mess up and the broken and those who have failed. He always takes those who are weak and, and ignorant and the least qualified to, to put His Spirit within them to do great and mighty things. It's the, it's the treasure in earthen vessels, right? That even though we're made of the earth and even though we're temporary beings, even though we're susceptible to failure and sin, God is, has done something in us. He has put His Spirit within us, that great treasure that we, weak men, might do great things. Amen? The only reason these men were considered mighty men was because they dedicated themselves to a mighty God. God makes ordinary men extraordinary. Amen? So my question then is this. I went through all of that to define and to show us what we would define, what God would define as a mighty man that would present themselves into the army of God no matter what it costs me. We... As human beings want to know what's in it for us. Is that true? Is that fair statement? Anything we do, we want to know what's in it for us. And God said, I'm looking for people that will join my army, giving every, no matter what it costs them. If it costs them their very life. Now, where are the mighty men today? Where, where are these mighty men? And I'm not just talking about in the, the natural. I thank God for all of our our servicemen and women. I mean, to me, that, that's pretty mighty to put themselves on hold in order to define our country. But I'm talking about within the home. I'm talking about infiltrated within our society. Where are these mighty men today? Contrary today, to today's culture, uh, the mighty men are not, are not the ones that can hold their liquor. The mighty men are not the ones who drink beer and then smash the can on their forehead. Amen? The mighty men are not the ones who can fist fight and spit tobacco and, and uh, lift the most weight, you know. It's, it's, that's not the mighty men. In our minds, we're thinking, well, yeah, I can drink my beer. You know, that's, not, that's really not the definition of a mighty man, although our culture kind of puts it that way. Mighty men are driven by the Holy Spirit, not by their testosterone. Amen? Real mighty men. There's a, there's a tremendous difference in what the world considers to be mighty men and what God considers to be mighty men. God literally, oh, we're on the topic of testosterone. God 
it's amazing. You know, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? And, you know, back in Mother's Day, I talked about you ladies and how you're built, how God built you to grow babies. It's, it's an amazing thing, the way that he created you anatomically. Did I say that right? Uh, and how he created us in the same way, because I probably can't say the, the word right twice, but, but how he created men and, and he built us and made us and, and installing within us a greater level, level of testosterone that not only develops in the, uh, you know, the area of sexual organs and all that kind of stuff, but that ultimately testosterone regulates bone mass, uh, fat distribution, muscle size, and strength. That's what testosterone, it makes us strong. It makes big. God put that in us. God intended on men to be strong. Amen? That's why he built us this way. God gave us testosterone and strength to accomplish our calling in life, not, not to just be a Neanderthal and assert dominance over everybody in our path. That wasn't the point. It was to establish a calling, which is what? To protect and to provide for those who are weaker. Amen? Mighty men today, our, our culture is trying desperately, I'm going to say this, I'm going to try to, to kind of walk on eggshells a little bit because I know this is not going to be politically correct, but if you'll bear with me for a second, I'd just rather be biblically correct today. Is that okay? That today our culture is trying desperately to drive out man's leadership role in the home. Leadership role anywhere, but especially in the home. Uh, and in many cases, not in every case, but in many cases, maybe most cases, men have backed down from that. I mean, we've kind of allowed that cultural thinking of equality. And, and, and you and I all know that in the sight of God, our souls are equal before God. Men are not more important than women. Women are not more We're all very important and equally important in the eyes of God. But we are not equal. We were not created the same. Is that true? So, so God made men stronger for a reason. There's a reason why the scripture refers to the woman as the weaker vessel. Not because she's less important. She's weaker. That's not a bad thing. That's not a diss. For older people, that means that's not an insult. right? That's not an insult. I mean, ladies, I, I, if I were you, I would embrace your weakness. It means the pressure's off you. You're weaker so that your husband can take... And our society has just got all of this all goofed up. We, we just, our society is increasingly... Be, men are just becoming more girly. I Just to put it blunt. But God created us to, to be men, not to be sissies. We're stronger. Everybody's always like, oh, we're ought to be equal. Everybody wants to be equal. No difference. Treat everybody exactly the same. No equality. But I guarantee you... Oh, what's an example? Okay, let's say this. Let's say that I, I was going to put together a game of dodgeball, okay? And, and it was going to be men over here on this side, women over here on this side. And Glendella's standing over here, and I take a ball, and I just throw it as hard as I can and hit her in the face. And I'm like, whoa, yeah! What are you, how, what are you guys going to say to me? You're, 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 she's a woman, Right? If I was to bring up some weights and I was to, you know, lift up over my head, I don't know what it was last time I did, about, you know, 800 pounds up over my head, something like that, and then, and then you know, have a lady come up and, and try to lift it and I'm bragging because she can't. Normally, I'm not saying in every scenario, but for the most part, men can lift more. Why? They're stronger than women. Why? Because God made us that way. 
so that we could not assert dominance and be kings of our castle, but that we might protect and provide for the weaker that are under our leadership. Our wives, our children, those who are less fortunate in our society, widows, you know, uh, those who are, have handicaps. He gives us strength so that we can protect. That's why we're stronger. God made us that way. And for us to sissify and for us to, to try to adapt to the world's view of, no, we're all equal and, and it's all backwards and we wonder why our homes are all screwed up in our, in our society because we don't have authority in the right order. Okay? Again, I know it's not politically correct, and I'm sure that CNN and some of those, you know, they'd have a heyday with a sermon like this. I'm saying that if, what if, men, men just in the proper context with the right mind frame, humbly, what if men just retook their place as the leaders of their home? Not just the financial and, and you know, cutting the wood, the strong, I mean, but the, also the spiritual leader of the home. What if men retook their positions humbly as the leader of their homes and what if the ladies just took their place to follow his leadership okay now if that made you mad uh i didn't write it okay and if that made you mad that might be why you're having a little bit of problem but anyway it's you we submit to whoever god puts in authority over us is that true there's not a person in this room would get mad at me if i said you need to submit to your boss at work you need to go to your, work, to your job and, and, and your boss has authority and you need to submit. Them. Don't, don't try to run the company. You're going to submit to his door. Nobody would, would dog me for that. And so God's looking for what God has established in an order. And I could give you all kinds of scripture. We could be here for two hours and I could show you all the scripture about the older women's role to the younger women, right? Teaching them to uh, care for and keep the house within order and all of those types of things. And men, how they are supposed to... Uh, uh, protect and cherish their wives, willing to give their life for their wife, just as Christ would give his, gave his life for us. So there's just an order that God has established. And, and even though society is trying to tear it down and, and sissify men, God created us to be strong. And we need to be strong. I saw something one time, I probably shouldn't even bring this up because I don't know how statistically correct it is, but I saw it was like a, oh, I don't know, it's probably like you know, 60 minutes or something, so I'm sure it had to be true, right? Uh, but they were, it was literally talking about the fact that te- the uh, testosterone levels in men uh, as a whole has dropped over time. And in many cases, it's probably because we don't work as hard as our fathers and grandfathers did. People are lazier today. Is that true? People are lazier today. A lot of people are lazy. They don't want to have a, get a job and, and work, so they're lazy. But, I mean, you know, we, even those of us who have a job, we're lazier than our grandfathers because we have things that can do stuff for us, right? So God built us uh, in a way that we would work and, and use our strength and get stronger. And so anyway, I'm, I'm rambling, but you get my point. If, if men, if we want the respect that we deserve, then we need to be respectable. Is that fair? If we want to be honored, then we need to be honorable. God, God has given uh, men this it's one word, and we, many people want to do everything they can to avoid this word, but it's there whether we accept it or not, and that's called responsibility. 
And responsibility means that I can't just always do what I want. I've got, I've got something that I have to do that I have to take care of. And folks, responsibility is a tremendous blessing when you, when you operate correctly in it. When you know as a man you've got a responsibility to provide for your family and you uh, sit around a table and there's food there and you worked to put it there, that is a tremendous sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. Why? God designed us that way. Amen? I mean, turn back with me. I'm not going to read this a whole lot, but I, w- I want to kind of bring this in before I kind of start bringing this in for landing. If you go back to Ephesians chapter number 6, Ephesians chapter number 6, verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Kids, can I just share with you this morning a very important message that your fathers do know more than you do. Amen? And all the fathers said amen. Amen. It was amazing to me how much smarter my dad got the older I got, right? You know how that saying goes. Um, fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord in Colossians chapter 3 verse 20 says children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged the message throughout the entirety of the word of God is that we don't provoke our kids but that we lead them amen I like what all have said what did you say there earlier we can't expect our children to follow where we're not leading right we have to be leading in order for them to follow follow so where are the mighty men what are the real mighty men the real men real men honor god real men provide for their families by working uh real men walk in walk in integrity meaning they're honest uh and, and they do the right thing in public and in private okay that's the real mighty men what we do, and we can put it on a good show in public, but folks, when we're all alone, be it on a computer, on our phone, whatever be the case, when we're by ourselves, a man of integrity, a real mighty man, will be honorable to God when he's by himself and nobody else sees it, just like he would be in the house of God. Amen? And believe me, and I know, there's a, there's a lot. We're fighting, we're swimming upstream here. In a, in a, let me just take it. I didn't mean to go down this, this avenue, but let me go ahead and go down that road for just a second. We're living in a sex-saturated world today. Absolutely saturated with lust and sexuality. It's everywhere you turn. And so for us to determine, kind of like the man did, I'm, this is my field, I'm not going to give up my integrity. Amen? I'm going to fight for it. We have to work as men to keep integrity even when we're by ourselves and nobody else knows. Understanding that God knows. Amen? Protect your eyes. Can I encourage you with that this morning? We are called real men protect the weaker vessels. They stand for what is right. Remember the little song says if we don't, uh, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Right? And so real men stand for something. That we stand for what is right. There's just, I tell you, there's just a lot to be said for just simply doing the right thing. Amen? We don't always... And we know, I mean, I realize that sometimes we, there's things happening, but folks, the Spirit of God and, and what God has installed in us as men, you know what's right. In a situation that comes up, we know what's right, and we just need to do what's right. Amen? Is that fair? Um, so you look at David, and he surrounds himself with these mighty men. David himself was a mighty man. 
fought hand-to-hand combat with bears and lions and and men, uh, warriors, soldiers who were three times his size, but that man knew how to worship God. Okay? David was a mighty man. He was a man's man. But he knew how to worship God. David, with the same hands that he would fight with and kill his enemies, he would lift towards God. With those same hands, in fact, if you read back, uh, when Saul was still king after God had already rejected him, these evil spirits would come and, and torment Saul. And so they got David to come in. David was good on the guitar. They called it a lyre back then, but it's basically a, a form of a guitar. But David was instrumental, harp, guitar, whatever it was. He could play and he could worship God. And when David would play that music, he was so anointed in worshiping God that literally the, 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 the devil would just leave Saul alone. And so this is a man, David, who, who could fight, but he could play, he could worship God. He wrote psalms and all of these songs that he would, he would actually share his feelings towards God. Amen? He would actually express, we're so, we're so tight, we're so, oh, it's not manly to, to cry or to worship God or to tell people, uh, or, you know, to testify of God. But David would literally speak, and when, and with this worship, this praise that was in his soul towards God, he was never too manly to do it. He would come down in the middle of the street and the Bible says that David danced before the Lord. He danced before he was so overwhelmed with joy and what God had done with him that as he worships God, he just dances before God in the middle of the street before everybody, right in front of everybody. He was not ashamed. He wasn't embarrassed. Even his wife came to him and said, man, you're making a fool out of yourself. You need to quit all this. David said, no, that's my God. Real men worship God. Amen? Real men serve Jesus. Real men fight when they have to fight. And real men worship when it comes time to worship. True? In 1 Timothy chapter... You don't have to turn there. I'm going to hit some of these real quick because I'm, I'm out of time. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> uh, verses 1 through 7, this is talking about the qualifications for an elder um, within the church leadership. But when you read this, I mean, it applies to every man, I believe, uh, in being, I mean, you, not, you may not be, quote unquote, an elder of the church, meaning an official leader of the church, but you're an elder in your home, correct? You're a leader in your home. And look what God is ultimately looking for from us as men. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, leader, uh, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but a lover of money, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Amen? Is that, is that man's job? It is. God said a leader, an elder, keeps his house hold in order, leads his children and keeps them in submission. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's fair. He must not be a recent convert and he may, uh, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil, meaning he can't be a leader in the church if he just got saved recently. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders uh, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. It's ultimately what God is looking for in men, no matter what leadership role they play. That they're gentle and humble. They're strong, 
And they're tough. They're manly men, but they're also humble. They also know how to worship God. They also know how to lead their family and to keep their home in order. Folks, there's, look, I, I realize that we're all human beings and our, everybody's house gets out of order. I'm not talking about physical house. I'm just talking about sometimes we go through stuff, our children get out of order, things get out of order, and there's no shame that, that those types of things happen. And God just says, here's what I want you to do. Here's the, if you really want to fix the situation, just put your, car, your, your horse in front of the cart, right? I mean, if you want to ride from here to Kabul on a horse and you've got your, the horse behind the cart, you're not going to get there very easy. You have to put it in the right order. God says, look, I'm just putting it all out there so that everything's in the right order. Everything will work better. Amen? Um, all right, I promise this is the last scripture, and then I'm going to close. Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews 11, of course, the whole chapter talks a lot about men and women of faith, people of great faith. But if you read, let's go to verse 32, Hebrews 11:32. 32. It says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. <laughs> world, the ones that the world rejected and persecuted and came down on, the writer of Hebrews says the world wasn't worthy of these people. They, they were mighty men, mighty women that did all of these things and they didn't even get to really see the main promise of God, which was Christ ultimately. But the, the world wasn't worthy of these people. And some of these men that it, it named, Gideon and Barak and Jephthah, when you read their story, the Bible refers to them as men of valor. He was a man of valor, V-A-L-O-R. What does valor mean? It's a man of strength, a man of wealth, not just money. Amen. You can be, a, you can be very rich and not have very much money. Is that true? A man of wealth, a man of strength, a man of influence. God help us men, Christian men, to be men of influence. We, we will be one of two things in this culture. That, as boisterous and in your face as this culture is, we will either influence or we will be influenced. Amen? But a man of valor is not a man that is influenced by his surrounding and his fallen culture. A man of valor is a man who will influence his culture by standing up and doing what thus says the Lord. Amen? That, that will do what is right. These were men of valor. That's why we read about them. That's why they did things that they in their own strength could have never done. God's looking for men of valor now just the same, if not more so, than he ever had before. Men of valor, men of strength, men of influence. A man of valor is not fearless. Doesn't mean he never experiences fear, he just conquers it. Amen? Those who are strong for war, those who can judge, those who can lead, those who are righteous in their behavior. So in, in the world around us today, where are the mighty men? They're right here in the church. Amen? We are called to be a, a city on a hill. We're called 
to be the light in a dark world. Was that, what does that mean? Not to blend into the darkness and to just uh, sissify and let the world go around us. We are called to stand and be counted, be strong and influence our families, influence our workplace, influence our communities and influence our church. The true mighty men of God are found within his body, are found within his church. Those who have the spirit of God dwelling within them. Amen? It's not in physical size, it's in spiritual size. Some men may be this tall, but they'll be giants in the sight of God. Why? Because they, they may be that strong, they may not be able to lift fi- uh, 500 pounds uh, over their head like me, but, they, but they, they can pray, amen? They can grab a hold of God because they're strong in other ways. Now, my purpose in this message, and honestly, I tried my best. I really tried. As I, as I studied this message and prayed, I tried my very best to make sure it didn't sound scolding. Because I didn't want to come across that way. Remember, uh, one gentleman told me one time, he said, why is it that on Mother's Day, the message from a preacher is always, oh, mothers are so sweet, and we need to honor them, and we brag on the mothers, and all that they, they do this for us, they cook and they clean, they take care of us, and then on Father's Day, the men just get hammered, right? And that may be that way. It may be that way. Um, but how many of you know we need it? Amen. <laughs> I do. I need it. So I, I, I'm trying. I don't want this to sound scolding or hard. I want this to be challenging. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, right? Iron sharp. If you want to make a knife sharp, you're going to use. If you're going to make iron sharp, you're going to use more iron to do it. Iron sharpens iron. What does that mean? It means that godly men challenge men to be godly men. And so that's my challenge today to you, the church, that God expects more of us than what we're putting out. Is that is that fair to say? And I'll be the first one to stand in line and point my finger at myself. God is expecting more from us than we're putting out. And, I, and I'm not just saying that about crossways men. I'm talking about Christian men um, in general. Where are the mighty men? I want, to be, I want to be listed among them. Amen? I want to be listed among them. I, I may never fight a lion. I may never fight a Philistine. I may never fight with my hands. But I want to be able to fight in the spirit. I want to be able to be strong. I want to be able to provide for, protect, and keep my family spiritually above all things. That's not that hard. I mean, if, if, how, many of you, how many of you got a gun in your house? How many of you men have a gun in your house? Okay. How many of you have it close by? You have it in your bedroom. You have it close by in the middle of the night. Should somebody break into your house, you have it cocked and loaded, ready to go, and you will protect your family. Raise it high. How many of you are going to physically protect your family if somebody breaks in intending harm? Every one of us will do what we got to do to protect our family. And all God is saying... Um, is be sure that you're protecting them spiritually. Amen. It just could be that there's a bad guy in your house that you don't know about. There's a threat or a danger within your house that you haven't recognized or that you just haven't addressed. And so true mighty men of God will lead their family, family spiritually. Amen. Put more emphasis actually on spiritual well-being even than on physical well-being. Stay with me today. And I'll rein you over just a little bit. But can we just... We prayed for different needs already this morning, so I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna whittle down the altar call to this: that if anybody here this morning, any any man, woman, boy, or anybody that don't know Jesus as your Savior, if God's dealing with your heart about giving your life to Christ, you feel God drawing you, and you say, "Man, my life, I just need God to take my life and do something else with it because I've messed it up, as we all have." You just say, "Today, I'm giving my life to God." Every head bowed and every eye closed. These altars are open. 
and we just invite you to come. We don't have membership in this church. We're not trying to get you to sign a book or we're not in this. We're not trying to get your money or any kind of fame. It's not about us. It's just about we'll help you. We'll pray with you to make peace with God this morning if you feel like you need that, okay? Would you pray with me as they sing? Would you come if God's dealing with your heart and you want to be saved this morning? You want us to take this Father's Day and give your life to God and, and, and start a whole new path in your life. Would you come today?